This is an interview with Cancio and Franklin on Sunday, August 15th, 2021, by Nick Perkel. Now, Cancio, I last saw you back in fall 2018. What's been going on with you since then? Well, since then, I mean, I'm kind of stuck to my guns, I guess you could say, uh, which is that I've been gigging as much as possible writing as many songs as possible and uh, recording them. You know, that's kind of what I do. I just try to you know, chip away at, at music as, as, much as, as much as life allows me to. And obviously there's been some major world events in that time between when we last talked but I can say that, you know, since then I've really been able to grow, uh, grow my music and grow my name and, and improve things for myself uh, pretty drastically, I would say. So, you know, things have def- definitely taken an upward trajectory uh, as far as the, the music business goes. And, and I would say personal life, too. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been up to. Is same old, but doing it better, I guess. Now, how much time did you spend back in Arizona, and was there much songwriting that occurred back there? Yeah, so I I went to Arizona like the day after everything shut down in New York. So that was like March, what was that, March 17th or something like that. I flew over there, and... Yeah, there was there was a lot of songwriting that went on. Number one, I didn't really have to have anything else to do. So that really helped. And I actually ended up breaking my arm falling off a horse. So I couldn't I couldn't take my hand and turn it you know, to play the guitar in my left hand, which is the one I fret with. So I had been learning uh, slide guitar off and on for a few years before then, but when I broke my arm, I I couldn't really play uh, unless I put the guitar on my lap and just used the slide because I didn't have enough strength to really be able to fret anything. Um, and, and I, and, uh, coincidentally, I had just been studying some Mississippi Hill Country blues players like R.L. Burnside and, uh, Mississippi Fred McDowell, and I'd gotten my right hand pretty good, so I was able to kind of figure out how to keep playing and, and keep songwriting, uh, during that time by flipping the guitar and putting it on my lap. And that was a nice change too, because it's uh, definitely a very different mode of playing. And I didn't, I had a lot of limitations because I didn't know as much as I do in standard tuning and all of those things. So I wrote quite a few songs that way. And I really liked the results. It's a little bit, it's almost like playing piano playing in an open tuning like that. Uh, the, the notes are kind of laid out 
flat a little bit more than they are uh, when you're playing in standard tuning. So some kind of uh, some new stuff came out of that, and some and, and I was really uh, happy to be able to keep going while my arm healed up. How did you evolve as a songwriter going from Truest Time Allows to Stone for Stone? Well, I'd say that those two records are pretty similar to each other. They're all um, songs that I had written over the course of pretty much the same years. You know, there was stuff on Stone for Stone that I just didn't and have the ability to put on True Final Out. And then there was some new stuff in there. But I would say that uh, the real evolving probably came between Stone for Stone and my last single, Just Made Rent. I think one, uh, one big thing is just getting older and being able to kind of trim the fat on songwriting. Um, and kind of be able to talk about things a little bit more personally, but have a little bit more of a understanding of the person next to me, uh, you know, getting older, empathy developing to a certain extent, and just kind of uh, getting good enough at songwriting to not really have to think about the logistics too much, kind of know where know how to execute the idea. I think my first two records, I was still kind of learning a lot of technical things, which is fine. And you don't need a ton of technique to, to write a good song, but uh, between Stone for Stone and my last single, I kind of reached the point where I could kind of go where I wanted to go without having to think about it too hard. So it was able to free me up. Uh, to really just focus on the emotion of songwriting. Now, as a musician, when it came to the trials and tribulations of the pandemic, at what point were you able to digest what was going on to put your feelings into a new song? Well, I would say, I would say, number one, I'm still digesting, as I think a lot of us are, uh, what, happened then what's happening now you know we're not out of the woods quite yet the atmosphere is definitely not back to the way that it was before but I would say I was pretty lucky when it came to everything that uh went on in the went on during those months and during the year of 2020 at least I was able to kind of keep things going in my in my own life. I was able to keep playing some shows to a certain extent. I was able to 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 keep the ship kind of uh, even even keeled as as much as it could be. I definitely struggled but I always say that before the pandemic things weren't really easy for uh for working class people, which is what I am, you know, um, I'm a songwriter, but I'm a, I'm a working class person. I work jobs to make ends meet and 
and I try my best. So, you know, the struggle of the pandemic was not altogether that much more difficult than what the struggle was beforehand, which is that, you know, it's hard to survive. And the pandemic definitely made certain things a lot more inconvenient and it shut down a lot of the bigger acts that exist in music. Like, obviously, uh, a big band couldn't play a venue that they would normally play. But for a guy like me, I was able to kind of fit in the gaps and find some space to be able to keep it going, which I was really uh, proud of being able to do. Where you were when you were when the idea for just made rent came to you? I remember I was living in uh, I was living in Queens, and uh, I was sitting at my kitchen table. I was in Sunnyside, and I think I was having a stretch of time where I was drinking too much. And songs just kind of come out sometimes. That's one that just kind of came out all at once. It's a great mystery, you know. It's almost like a, a good song is one that already exists. I think somebody said, "I, I can't." Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it might have been Sting. Somebody famous said, "A song, a good song, already exists. You're just the first one to find it." And that kind of resonates with me, especially with that that track in particular because it just came out of nowhere like a thief in the night and and it was just there when I sat down at my at my kitchen table for for whatever reason I could never explain to you exactly why what have you noticed after having your music played on both the Roots Music Report and the Americana Music Association Well, see, everything is a brick in the wall, in my opinion. Like, I've been wanting to have a career that is uh, very autonomous. I, I never wanted to do uh, cover gigs. I never wanted to do wedding band gigs. I, I always preferred to bartend on the side or whatever I needed to do and be able to really focus on my art when it came to music. So, you know, the Roots Music Report and the Americana Music Association, that was really awesome to see those kind of numbers come in through the radio. Did it change things for me directly? No, but it made me feel, number one, that I was going in the right direction, which I think is super important when kind of trying to run things on your own and you know, you're just feeling your way through the dark to a certain extent. Um, by having that, you know, seeing my, seeing my name next to some big acts on those charts uh, was really encouraging and, you know, it's a, it's, it's a brick in the wall. Uh, a lot of those radio stations that were able to so wonderfully play my music uh, they're not going to forget me, you know. They, they, they gave a 
good number of spins to chew as time allows, and they gave a great number to stone for stone. So when I'm ready next time around, uh, hopefully it'll be the same way. And that just really, uh, you know, I'm about the business of building a career the way that I want it to look like. So stuff like that is just a milestone, and it's uh, and it's an indescribably wonderful thing. Now, what was it like getting the news story done on you from News 4 New York? That was really cool. I have to say, it's, you know, it's kind of similar to what I was just saying about the radio play is that, you know, we, we, don't, we don't get to know when we're doing things what the results are going to be. We just do them because we, we think it's important. I mean, I don't mean to say the collective we because I can't speak for everyone, but I think that is a pretty common experience, especially for artists. It's like, all right, well, at the end of the day, I'm doing this because I love to do it. And this is my life's blood. This is my life's force that's going to go behind playing this music and when I got back from Arizona and things were still kind of messed up here, I got back in June, I walked, you know, I took this seven train, I was still living in Queens, so I took the seven train over to Grand Central and I walked and I walked all the way downtown to Marshall Stack there on the corner of Allen and Rivington and uh, John Mato was there. And there was a, my buddy Carl, and we started playing some songs on the street uh, with his old resonator and passing the guitar back and forth. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a go of it again in New York. I'm gonna, you know, I think there's still something left for me to do. just seemed like a kind of sign. So me and John Mato and uh, Carl Schwarz was the guy that I was playing with, and we made this little music venue playing out of the window there at Marshall Stack, and we just did it because we were like, live music is important. It's, even during this time, we think that it's going to be something really important to do, and no one else is really doing a, uh, you know, trying to make something work here. I think I think we can really do something for ourselves and for other people. So we started playing out the window of the bar, uh, and I was doing it every week, and having, uh, it was uh, Adam Cooperstein uh, over there at, at, at the news who, who just reached out to me out of the blue and wanted to do a story on it, and it just felt like it, it couldn't have been a better result of just trying to do something directly for music, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't, I'm always doing music for some attention. It's not separable from my ego, of course, but uh, we were doing it because we were like, hey, this is the Lower East Side. This is New York City. We're not going to let live music completely disappear. We think this is important. And it was uh, was kind of a scary time. You know, the SLA and a lot of different government agencies were kind of making it really scary and inconvenient for bars to conduct business. 
in that way for some good reasons and for some bad reasons. And, and so uh, despite all that fear, we found a way to make it work. And just having like the news take a, take attention to that was like, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, we were just trying to not, not save anything, but, but keep something going that, that we thought was important, important for some reason we couldn't put our finger on it. But then News 4 got involved and we're like, wow, like we really did something here that, you know, that worked out. It couldn't have been a, a more beautiful thing. Personally, what was your philosophy on how to produce music? And tell me about producing Leah Tesh's All You Ramblers. Yeah, well, I think that a producer is a very loose term um, in that it can mean a whole lot of things. And I am not somebody who knows very much about the technology of recording. Like, for example, if we were in the studio and using a vocal mic, I could tell you if I liked the microphone or if I didn't like it, but I couldn't tell you which microphone to try out. You know, my, my knowledge is limited, but I know what I think sounds good. And I'm familiar with the type of music that Leo was aiming at for that single, which is old school country. And so I was a little bit, I was as much of a musical director as I was uh, anything else. And I, and I did some guitar playing on that track too. But my philosophy about it is the number one thing is the vocals. The vocals have to come through. You got to hear what the singer is saying. And the quality of the vocals is paramount to the success of the track. Second to that is drums. And when you're in the studio, I think that things need to be very mellow in a certain way. Like, uh, if you hold the same beat for 16 bars and then you do a fill, that fill means a lot more than if you're filling every four bars. You know, it makes it makes time pass in different ways. So my philosophy is really, really to let the artist shine. It's not about doing cool stuff with instruments or anything like that. That takes a backseat to the song and what the song's about and what the emotion behind that is. So my my thing is to try to remove all those obstacles. You know, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And I think the producer's job is to help uh, make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. You have the engineer doing one thing that they believe. You have a drummer, you have a bass player, uh, and it's nice to kind of have somebody who is not directly attached to music the way you know that, for example, Leah is, to be able to take an objective look at it and say, all right, this is what needs to happen. 
and be able to say that to people without fear um, of retribution, you know, like, not that this necessarily happens, but it can, like, if an artist is in the studio with their band and there's something that they want, they might be afraid to really do what they need to do to get it because they're afraid of stirring things up with their bandmates because that's like a family affair. Um, having that middleman, I can walk out of the studio and that band can dislike me all they want for having told them what to do. Um, and that's fine because I'm the producer and I don't have to be in the tour van with them for the next four weeks, you know? So I think it's a really essential role and it's a little bit of a jack of all trades thing, like knowing a little bit about this, knowing a little bit about that, um, but not really being the, you know, it's kind of like being an idea person. You have to, at the end of the day, do what the artist wants and get the results that they're interested in. So it's a, definitely an exercise in kind of putting your ego on the back burner and just facilitating the artist to get the sound that they want. Final words. How do you feel? Hey, man, it's just nice to talk to you. I, uh, I've been incredibly lucky over the past year, year and a half especially. Um, and I'm really excited about the music I'm going to be putting out in the next few months. Don't have any dates yet, but definitely expect some singles from, from me. But, you know, uh, this is one of those years where doing inventory on one's own life, I, I just go, well, I'm fortunate to still be standing and to still be doing what I love to do. So I guess if I was going to leave you with anything, it'd just be like, the incredible gratitude that I feel towards the people that have made it possible. The guys over at Juke Bar, where I play my residency on Tuesdays, they've gone to bat for me and made sure I had a home to play my gigs during this time. You know, John Mato from Marshall Stack and the owner, Matt, they've totally gone to bat for me and made sure that no matter how bad things got, I had a place there to play. And all the people who this whole time, uh, no matter what the, uh, the situation was, have, have come out to see me play. And that's just been incredibly valuable. I, I have to just really pass the, uh, the credit over to other people because without them, I really wouldn't be anywhere. It's, it's, it's been all about the people that are around in this community who have who have stepped up and for me to have been a part of that and to still be a part of that is, is everything I could want, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Thanks. This has been an interview with Cancio and Franklin on Sunday, August 15th, 2021 by Nick Burkell. <laughs>